But as we settle in, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to Hebrews chapter 12 or chapter 11. I'm sorry. I want to get ahead. Uh, chapter 11, where today uh, what we're going to do is we're going to continue building out the examples of faith that we find in the, the, this chapter. But really, they're examples that we find all throughout the scriptures If you were with us last week, Jeremy shared that uh, really uh, when we look at these examples, this is not simply a hall of faith that we are to to read about and and relish in the faith of those that came before us. Although I I believe uh, that, man, as we uh, hear of these people uh, throughout scriptures that had faith and walked out, uh, man, faith uh, in God in in some really amazing ways and also in some really hard situations, uh, I believe that they are worthy of remembrance, but also I believe that as we work through each of these stories in Hebrews 11, really what we're going to see is, man, they are worth modeling. They are worth, man, us looking at our own lives and really wrestling with, okay, as we see what's taken place, as we see their faith, what does that mean for, for the way we are to live lives of faith? And so how can we model what we're seeing take place in these stories? And so as we read through these examples, what, what we need to, to remember is that uh, every one of these stories really follows kind of the foundation text of verses 1 and 2, uh, where we get these pictures of how faith works generally, but also that, that as we read it, we see that, that this should lead for the Christ follower to faith working in and through our lives. We see that this call to faith it is really connected to, to Hebrews 10, 39, where we see that in faith, we preserve our souls through perseverance by grace through faith. Because we, because of what Jesus has done, we do not shrink back. We don't have to. There is no need. Really, the writer of Hebrews, the argument has been, hey, don't turn back to Judaism. Don't turn back to those comfortable things that you think were comforts that you once knew. You don't have to shrink back and turn to the former things that are not sustaining nor saving good news. So in verse 1 and 2, we see the foundation of the examples of faith that are to follow. And in these two verses, I want to share just a reminder of a couple of things. Because I believe that that verses 1 and 2 really give us a trellis that our faith examples grow upon. Last week, this week, and in the weeks to come. So the first thing that we see is that an active faith leads to an active life that seeks to glorify God and not self. You see, when the object of our faith is Jesus, what we come to realize is that that changes the way we see and live in the world. And we're actually going to engage in that today through Abraham's story. Am I echoing? I feel like I'm echoing a little bit. Um, Maybe not. Hopefully it doesn't freak out again. Uh, but it's okay if it does. Um, so it changes the way that we live and see in the world. I believe that this understanding is key. This, this reality that, that Jesus must be the object of our faith uh, is a key uh, means by which we persevere in the faith. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared that David Platt quote that, man, if God, as he was struggling and really wrestling with even persevering in his own faith, he made the statement, if God is the goal, then what? Then these are good days. 
Not only are these good days, these are great days. And so it's this understanding that, that, that we saw last week that leads to really two products of faith. First, it, it leads to an assurance of things hoped for. Meaning that our faith in Jesus, which again, Jesus ignites in us, uh, takes, uh, takes our perhaps and, and brings about permanence in our lives. Jeremy gave a great example last week where he said, you know, as I uh, began to wrestle with faith, and one of the questions I had is, man, perhaps there's something after death. He said, man, when, I was, when, when Jesus ignited his faith, when Jesus ignites each one of, each one of our faiths, what, what happens is that perhaps turns into a permanence. We're like, no, th- there is something after death. It is life uh, both now, but also life abundant for all eternity. So our perhaps turns to permanence. The next thing we see is that it is a conviction of things unseen. You see, our faith gives us confidence to see the unseeable. Now, now that's not some hokey, blind faith, but rather it is a faith that believes, as Jesus says, without seeing. You heard the story last week about Thomas, right? And Thomas, upon Jesus' resurrection, says, Hey, I'm not going to believe unless what? Unless I see the, the, the place where the nails went in his hands and the spear went in his side. And, and, and uh, what I love about that story is it says that Jesus just shows up amongst them. It doesn't say he opens the door. He's just there, right? Uh, but he says, No, look, Thomas. He says, Now I believe. And what Jesus responds with is, Man, I'm glad that you believe, but blessed are those that believe but don't see. And that, that, that's our call, is this call of faith. I mean, while we don't see, we still believe. We still believe. Here recently, um, we finally jumped on the bandwagon of the chosen. Uh, we, you know, okay, I'll just be honest. Um, the reason it took me so long is because for most of my life, most shows, I was just like, ah, I just don't know. Like, usually they're not really well done. But the chosen is. I'll also be honest. I've cried in every episode. Okay, I'm not ashamed. But every time I'm over there, I'm like, we're watching it with the kids, and they're asking questions like, "Stop talking! <laughs> I can't talk. I'm crying." Uh, but but in the episode we watched recently, they introduced Thomas, and I love the story because what happens is uh, Thomas is uh, he's at the, the the wedding feast when Jesus turns water into wine and and he's looking at Jesus saying, hey, fill up these pots with water. And Thomas is like, what are you going to do with that? And I love the, the character Jesus looks at him and simply says, just keep watching. Keep watching. You see, this is convictions of things unseen. Just keep watching while we don't see it, even when it seems bleak and impossible. We keep watching in faith, looking forward to what we know Jesus is going to do. This is an important reminder because, man, every example that we see through 11 flows out uh, of these two verses. And so as we prepare to jump into our text today, I want to remind us uh, of the question, really the two questions that I presented uh, the last uh, few weeks, but I also want to lay out one more for our time today. So question number one that, that I shared about three weeks ago was that in the face of difficult circumstances, where else do you have to go other than Jesus? Where else do you have to go? Followed by, man, if we understand that, man, Jesus is the object, that God is the goal, therefore these are great days, man, what else do we have to lose? Nothing. Eternally, right? 
Which brings a question for our time today that's really kind of two-part. Which is this, in light of this call to faith, which again is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence in things unseen, today in your life, where are you going? And what or who are you looking towards or following? Where are you going and what or who are you looking towards or following? And so with that before us, let's read Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 12. It says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was receiving inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, for one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Okay, so following the stories of Abel, Enoch, and Noah, we get to Abraham. You see, Abraham is a character in the Scriptures who by many, and many would argue this, that he would be the greatest man of faith that we find in the Scriptures. He is the one whom God called out of Ur to go. And as we see in this text, and if you read Genesis chapter 12, he went. Paul in Galatians 3 states that Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith. And it was counted to him as righteous. And so all who follow in faith, Galatians 3 says, are to be called sons and daughters of Abraham. And so we see throughout Scripture that he was a man of faith. But also we see that he lived out his faith. But I think what we need to note is that it wasn't always this way. You see, something I think that is often brushed over in Abraham's life was that before being called by God and before being told that he would be the father of many nations, that he would be a blessing to the earth, Abraham was a pagan worshiping citizen of Ur. Now Ur, according to historians, was a sophisticated city that that worshipped a moon god. They probably worshipped a litany of gods, but their main god was Namu, who was the god of the moon. Man, in this worship, what the historians have found is that they actually practice human sacrifices to worship this God. And so Abraham was a worshiper of such a God. And yet we see in Genesis 12, you see in Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7, that God comes to Abraham and calls him to simply go out from his own land and go into a land that God would show him. And what we see in verse 8 is the response of faith by Abraham to this command to go. For by faith, the text says, which again is activated by God inside of Abraham. Abraham does what? He obeys. Which is a response to faith, which is an active life of obedience, is it not? But he's being called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And so Abraham, when told by God to go, it says that he obeys immediately. Actually, one commentator says that in the Greek, the, 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 uh, the way it's, it's, it's put together is that he leaves while God's words are still ringing in his ears. 
It's if it's God says it and he doesn't have, he doesn't think about it. He doesn't process. He goes. And the reason I believe that he immediately goes is because he believes God's word for the future as if it is already present today because he can see it in his mind's eye. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. It was this inward faith that produced the outward obedience of going that we see in the second half of verse 8. For he went out. But, but then look at how he goes out. Not knowing where he was going. So, so in your life, when, when you get asked to go somewhere, how many of you are like, you're always down, right? Like, I'm always down to go. Like, like, how many of you are like, hey, where are we going? Been tricked before. How are we going to get there? All right? Right? All good questions, right? Like, that, that's our common response. It's like, okay, I'll go, but where are we going? Where are, are we going to go? Just tell me how to get there. And I believe often in life, even when we know where we're going, uh, if we're honest, we doubt and question the journey along the way. I mean, the phone is telling us, right? Like, map, you know, when you printed off maps, that was one thing. Like, it would mislead you probably. But like, Google, like it's pretty good now, okay? Like, it, it follows you. It follows you. <laughs> But I can't know, and yet we'll doubt and be like, it can't be a left turn, right? It can't. It's got to be a right turn. Like, no, it's saying left, go left. But we doubt and question the journey. This reminded me of my, my son James, my youngest boy. And he's doing this thing as of late where as soon as we get in the car, he's like, where are we going? I'm like, dude, we just told you. You know, the other day I was like, we got to run to the church because I got to grab something. All right, well, how are we getting there? Well, just get in the seat and buckle up, man. We start driving down the road. He's like, Dad, where are we going? I'm like, bro, I just told you we're going to the church. Yeah, but why are you going this way? I'm like, dude, you can't even reach the gas pedals. Like, you can't even see in the, you can't even see in front of you. Like, what are you doing? Like, just follow, like, just, just come along. Oh, okay, okay. But, Dad, where are we going? And why, why did you go left here, Dad? And then usually I just have to repent in the end. Uh, but we, like, that's what he does. And it's like every single time. Like, man, I'm like, dude, just go. Like, I'm telling you, like, this is where we're going. Like, just go. Just follow. Like, just trust me that I know the way. And guess what? Even I mess up directions at times. But it's not the same with God. And when he says go, we, like Abraham, are to just go. When Jesus calls his disciples, he, he, he says, man, follow me. And it says that, man, they drop their nets. Because, man, I believe that, man, following Jesus requires it. It's an immediate response. Man, I'm dropping and I'm following. I don't know where you're going. But I'm going to follow you. You see, I think when it comes to heeding the call to go, at times we struggle to walk in obedience because we want to know the where and the why rather than just walking in faith like Abraham. I don't know if you're like me, but often my response is, well, just give me the details so I can weigh if obedience is worth it or not. How much is it going to cost me? And guess what? It cost Abraham a lot. He left family. He likely left work. He, he, he left uh, maybe a home. He, he left uh, the comfort uh, that he had there. 
because he knew it and he went. You see, for Abraham and for us as followers of Jesus, we too are called to follow and go in faith, trusting the ways and means to him. Because guess what? We know that he is worth it. Martin Luther, when speaking of how Abraham's obedient faith is to encourage our own lives of obedient faith, once said this. He said, it is clear that with his obedience of faith, Abraham gave a supreme example of an evangelical life because he left everything and followed the Lord, preferring the word of God to everything and loving it above everything. Church, are our lives marked by the same faith-filled obedience? Today, where are you going? Today, where has God called you to go? And have you heeded that call? You see, God has called you in some way to go. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been called to go. Like generally, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that He has commanded, right? That's a call for all, not just pastors. We're all called to that generally. But I believe specifically, we've all been called in other ways as well. So where are you going? And if you're going, then who or what are you following? Is it God or is it self? So it's following this going that we see another aspect of Abraham's faith. For by faith he went and lived in the land of promise, but it was not yet his own. And he lived as did his heirs, because it says that Isaac and Jacob did the same as sojourners and foreigners in the land. Uh, you read it, it actually says they lived in tents, which, like, not me, okay? Uh, but, like, that's what they did. They lived, like, they got to the land, but they didn't own it. They lived as foreigners in the land. Now, now let's just sit in what the text tells us here. So, so Abraham is called by God to go. And he says, I'll show you the land that you and your, that your offspring will inherit. And yet when they're there, like they're in the land. He never gets the land. Rather, he lives in it as an outsider that has no rights. I tried to think of an example of this. And the, the only one I could think of is this. It, it would be like it, it's your birthday. I don't like I like want to plan my birthday like weeks in advance because I want to have the meal and the type of cake and the activities and like the nap scheduled and like everything. But imagine you wake up on your birthday. You wake up every year on your birthday, knowing that it was your birthday, ready to be celebrated and to celebrate seeing your favorite birthday meal, seeing a personalized cake with your name on it, prepared and ready on the table. You see people with party hats on. You see a whole stack of presents with your name on them, but you never get to experience it. Actually, you're made to stand outside and watch as others eat the cake, celebrate themselves by opening the presents with your name on them and taking them home. And even though you know it's your day, you were only made to feel as if you're an outsider. Just imagine if that was your birthday every single year. You see, this was life for Abraham and the heirs that followed. For while they were in the land, it was not yet their own. And so they lived in what we term as dissonance to the world around them. 
Dissonance, by definition, is simply a lack of harmony with, with what was taking place around them. You see, Abraham had come into a land that, that, that had different people that weren't like him, that had different values, that had a different standard for living. But also, they had different gods. You see, Abraham, was a, he believed in one God. They likely believed in a litany of gods. His value and standard for truth was God. Theirs was the God of the moment. The God that would meet their need. You see, I believe it's this reality in the life of Abraham that should speak volumes to our own lives as believers who, if we are honest, we should feel dissonance with the world around that, that we live in. Like, do you feel it? I think we should. I actually believe that, man, it's, a, it's probably a scary place to be if you're a follower of Jesus and you just feel really, really comfortable. Arkin Hughes says that a life of faith demands that we live in dissonance with the unbelieving world. A life of faith, though, is not anti-cultural, but counter-cultural. Like, we don't remove ourselves from the world. We are to be salt in a world of decay and light in a world of darkness but we should not feel at home and fully comfortable in the world that we live in. For we too are sojourners in the land and should feel out of place because we have different values. We have a different standard of truth. We have... (laughs) The world around us, again, they serve what? They serve the God of the moment. But we serve the God of every moment. And so we should feel a bit uncomfortable. And yet, we are still to go where God calls us to go. Like, do you feel this dissonance? Do you feel uh, out of harmony and out of sync with the world around you? And if you do, how are you responding to it? You see, I believe for many, the move in light of this is to insulate through isolation. And so what we do is we do the opposite of what Hugh says. We say, no, we're going to be anti-culture. We're going to be against it, but we're going to do it in a way where we insulate ourselves and isolate ourselves. So we walk around in fear and anger. You see, we're not to do that. Like Jesus didn't pull away from us. No, He entered in. Now with that, we are to be as, as wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. Like we're to use wisdom. You see, we, rather than integrating ourselves into the culture in ways that proclaim, we, we are to integrate ourselves into the culture in ways that proclaim the gospel as good news. We are to do it in a way that, 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 that changes the way that we live, even in the midst of a culture that seems harsh and wayward. I was reminded of Jeremiah 29, God's people in Babylon. What's happened is uh, Jeremiah is telling them, this is what's going to happen. And yet, look at what he says to them. He says, you're going to go into Babylon. Guess what? A people that made you have nothing in common with. Their value system is totally opposite than yours. But look what he says in 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. 
plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, we are to be about the betterment of where we are, where God has sent us and placed us. We are to go and do the same. We are to pray. We are to engage. We are to serve. We are to proclaim. We're to do so with the same faith that we see in Abraham in verse 10. Verse 10, it says that Abraham was always looking forward. He was always looking for a future city that was built by God. What this means is that Abraham, while a sojourner, was looking for a place built by God that would have eternal enduring foundations. The city Abraham and those after him longed for was a place where they would be with God and would dwell with other believers It would be here that the sojourner would sojourn no more, but would be at rest as a citizen in God's city. You see, the perspective was always greater and bigger than the land. The goal has always been pointing to God dwelling with His people, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 10. And so today, where are you going? What are you looking for? What are you looking towards? Is your life marked by faith-filled dissonance as you live in the now but long for the enduring city to come? Church, that's our call. And the reason it's our call is because we have assurance. We have conviction that God can do great things even when it looks impossible. And if you don't believe me, just look at the next two verses in the text. See, following 8 through 10, we get the story of Abraham and Sarah's faith in 11 and 12. That presents us with another picture of faith. For Abraham and Sarah in their sojourning in the land had faith that God would give them a land. But that he had also promised to give them descendants. And It was by faith that Sarah received the power to conceive even though she was past her age. The story in Genesis is far more honest and detailed because when told that they would have a child, it says that Sarah laughs. But they had to have faith in God who had promised it because guess what? There was no plausible scientific reason for it to happen. A 90-year-old woman and a 99-year-old man aren't meant for children. Like at 35, like Haley and I were like, we don't know if we're meant for children anymore, right? Like we're tired. I can only imagine. Sarah's actual response in Genesis 18 is, I'm worn out and my husband is as good as dead. (laughs) And yet they had faith. Although, and this is what I like, I hope we pick up on this in Hebrews 11. Like all of these stories of faith, these aren't perfect people. Jesus is the only perfect one. Because in the midst of their faith, they still struggle with doubt. And guess what? They still struggle to, to kind of jump in and say, hey, I'm going to look at myself for a little while and I'm going to try to control. You see that in Abraham and Sarah's story. But what we see is that it was because of their faith, it was through one man who again was as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
This, my friends, is the faith we're called to. And so again, where are you going? Where has God called you and are you going? And to whom or what are you following along the way? And so we see in 8-12 through 12 how Abraham's faith began and persevered. And so let's close now by looking at how his faith finished well by reading verses 13-16. through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right, so here what we see is at the ending is an ending that by culture standard looks to be failure. For Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob all died in faith without receiving the fullness of what was promised. But although they died, although they did not receive then, it says that they saw the fulfillment of the promise and it says they greeted it from afar with the understanding that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak, the text says, make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of the land they once had, they would have had opportunity to return. But they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Okay, so what what does all this mean? Well, what it means is that these who walked in faith did so and died in faith. They had faith until their last breath. Now, in a culture of immediate gratification, and I think that can create some struggle for us. Have faith for something and yet die in faith while not receiving the fullness of it. Like we can't even wait patiently for our drive through order to come through, right? And yet in the face of death without fulfillment, after all the sojourning, after all the dissonance, they did not turn back to the land they once found comfort in, but they looked forward to what God would do in the future. Well, what I believe the writer is trying to say uh, to those being written to and to us today is that when faced with the temptation to turn back to the land, to turn back to the things that bring security and comfort rather than go on in faith and obedience, even when we don't know where God is leading us, what we're to do is we're to look to Abraham and those that went with him to see that they remind us not to look back, but to look forward in faith. Knowing that God is doing a work that He will see completed. Guess what? He's still worth it. Therefore, we, just as those who came before us, can understand that, man, we don't really fit in. And yet we can persevere because we look to and desire a better country, a heavenly and enduring one built on an eternal foundation. Therefore, verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. N.T. Wright said that when you look back at passages like Psalm 110 and Jeremiah 31, that we've been, it's all, those are all through Hebrews. 
what we see is that the Old Testament is actually pointing beyond itself. And so what the author of Hebrews is arguing is that all of the people of faith in the Old Testament are all pointing forward to something in the future. That's something being Jesus in the eternal kingdom. Again, the promise was always bigger than a city because God owns it all and there's not one square inch that He doesn't sovereignly proclaim as His. And it was always bigger than one people because God promised that the nations would be blessed. For they looked forward to the day when God would dwell with His people, writing His law on their hearts, remembering their sins no more. This we find in Jesus who comes as the author and perfecter of our faith, while also being the one who is making all things new and who went to prepare a place for us. An eternal residence where there will be no more sojourning or sin, no more death, no more doubt. And guess what? He's worth it. So may our answer to the question, where are we going, be wherever He calls us to go. And may our answer to who are we following be Him and Him alone. Quit looking backwards. Look forward and go on in faith. Sojourn well and proclaim our hope that we have along the way. I want to end with Hebrews 10.39 again. May we remember that we don't shrink back. We have faith. Through our faith we preserve our souls. That that preserve is, is active, not passive. It's a going faith. And so I want to invite you to that today. I'm going to have the team come forward. I'm going to invite you to that faith today. So my question is this, where are you going? Like, where are you right now? Maybe where you're going is where you are. But man, are you uh, living in a way that is proclaiming this good news? Are you pointing others forward to the one, the only one who is Jesus that can save their souls? Today, are you looking elsewhere for satisfaction, identity, and hope? And today, I want to proclaim to you, it's only found in Jesus. And so even when we look back in the Old Testament, they're always saying, no, no, there's, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Maybe today you're struggling with insulating yourself through isolation. And maybe uh, the call for you today is maybe you need to, to step out in faith and, and be about the betterment of our city. Even in, a, even in the midst of the dissonance and the feelings like, man, we're, we're a bit outcast. We are, because guess what? Like, like, our, our, like, our kingdom is eternal. We don't follow the God of the moment. So when the world shakes and rumbles and grumbles and, and, and seems like it's on fire, we can look and say, okay, how do we engage this in ways that proclaim the good news of the gospel? And so that's what I want to invite each one of us to today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to um, we're going to do two things. We're going to share in communion. And we're going to sing. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you uh, to come and partake in communion. And as we come and partake, something we want to be reminded of each and every week is that Jesus is the focus of our faith. He is the goal. He is the one we are looking to. Because man, He paid the cost so that we might have life. 
And so I'm going to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to come and, and partake in the bread and the cup. And I have Ronnie and Nathan come forward and present the elements. And, and, and once everybody has received and gone back to your seat, what we're going to do is I'll lead us through our time in communion. And then uh, we're just going to take a moment just to sing and proclaim uh, this reality that Jesus is worth it. And so I'm going to pray and um, the guys are going to come forward. Jesus, we, we come now thanking You. Thanking You that You are our hope. That You are the one we can look to. We thank You for the story of Abraham. That we can look at his story and that we can see just just the, the, the real picture of this call to go. And so may we heed that call as followers of Jesus. But also we see the reality that in life, like there, that, that we too are sojourners in the land. But may, not, may we not shy away from that. May we use that as an avenue to proclaim the hope that is only found in you. May we realize and trust in faith that you are the God that, that, that makes possible what seems impossible. And we know that ultimately because of the empty tomb. The death uh, was defeated. But God, also may we look forward to the hope that we have in your return where you will make all things new. We long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.